everybody, welcome to the Musea Podcast. This is episode number 55, and I am Michael Howard, the founder and CEO of Musea. Hope everybody's doing well out there. Uh, we've got another great podcast for you lined up. Uh, for this podcast, I talked with film photographer Kirk Mastin. He shoots up uh, in the Seattle area, but he shoots all over, really. Um, shoots a ton of film, shoots weddings, commercial work, personal work. Uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, I've had him on the podcast before. He was one of the teachers at the gathering that was up in Tacoma uh, over the summer. Great guy. He's become a really good friend. Um, and I'm just a huge fan of his work, uh, what he stands for, and how he does his business. And so uh, this podcast, we talk uh, more about his personal work. Um, we talk maybe about what's ahead for him in the future. And we talk... Um, quite a bit about his um his new preset he come out um that just came out well he just released a uh a film emulation preset uh for lightroom uh that emulates portrait 400 and it's pretty stinking amazing uh he's been working for a really long time on this one preset to emulate this one specific film which is his favorite film um and i gotta say he nailed it uh it's very easy to use and it's actually looks looks really close to, um, to what Portrait 400 looks like. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of comparison images uh, online now between people that are comparing, like, an actual Portrait 400 uh, film scan to um, a digital image that was uh, done, that was, the photographer used this preset by Kirk for Portrait 400. And a lot of times, even people that shoot film actively they're having a hard time telling between which one is film and which one is digital so kudos to kirk for nailing something that has not really been nailed down in the industry yet um so we talk a lot about that uh as well so uh as a reminder uh we've got the museum gathering coming up in new york city we're only doing one next year so if you want to come please come uh to the one that's coming up at the end of february uh, get your tickets at museagathering.com i think there's like 16 seats left uh, it's a two-day event. We'll be doing critiques for the second day, and the first day we'll be doing lecturing. Uh, you'll, the first day I'll have four different teachers, Liz Banfield, Susie Kushner, John Dolan, and uh, Holger Thoss. And then the next day we'll be doing critiques. And you'll also uh, hear from uh, Christy Drago-Price, uh, who will be talking to you about editing. It's going to be a great lineup. It's in a great city, um, and I hope, hope you can make it. Um, it's priced really well, and you're going to get critiqued. Everybody that comes is going to get their work critiqued by all five uh, educators. So it's something I'm really excited about. Uh, something we haven't um, we haven't really done before the critique format, but 
all five are really strong on critique and have been doing it for a really long time. Um, a lot of them teach at International Center of Photography and Christy Drago Price was a photo editor of Brides Magazine for 13 years, so she knows uh, what she's looking at when she looks at images. So yeah, just please come, museagathering.com. Also, if you need help with post-production, check us out, Musea Outpost. We just hired our social media coordinator, so if you need help with blogging, if you're behind on blogging or anything like that, if you need help with increasing your social media presence or your social media, um, your, your brand on social media, things like that, uh, we have hired a fabulous person named Nicole who's been working in this field for six years. Uh, she'll help you with blogging, social media, getting your SEO uh, kind of ramped up through those uh, avenue streams or through those uh, online networks through the blogging and the social media. Um, so she'll be handling that for us, and so we're excited about that. Uh, I'll post uh, is doing well, continues to grow, and we'll uh, hopefully be adding some more um, team members and some more services uh, in the near future. So, but Outpost also does like post-production, editing, calling, album design, that kind of stuff. So if you need help with any of that, look us up, museoutpost.com. Um, also make sure you check out Kirk's uh, presets at mastinlabs.com and uh, you'll find some awesome, awesome stuff there. So I know he's got uh, another preset in the works, but you'll find out when you listen to the podcast which one that is. So Anyway, thank you so much for listening as always, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's going to be round two. I'm excited to have you back. How are you doing, man? Good. Great. You've been uh, you've been busy. So what's uh, what have you been up to? <laughs> oh man, since the last time that we talked. Oh man, uh, I finished or not finished. I started and got a lot of progress done with uh, a personal project that I've been wanting to do for about six years. Um, I taught at the gathering uh, workshop uh, series in Tacoma, which was amazing. And during this whole time, I had kind of a top secret project going on, um, creating some film emulation presets for Lightroom based off of my uh, own Fuji Frontier scanner. So, oh, and we had a baby. So, <laughs> other than that, nothing much. Nothing um, yeah. Which you just had the baby recently, right? Like, new, new. Yeah, like... Uh, a couple weeks ago? The, I guess today would be, like, the eighth day that we've had her. Oh, eighth day, so okay. Yeah. Crazy. So, yeah. Total, total piece of cake having two little kids in the house now. <laughs> Perfect time uh, to launch something. Uh, totally, yeah. That's not uh, not chaos at all. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool, man. Congrats. That's awesome to have number two. That's amazing. Thanks. Um, yeah. 
yeah well let's let's there's a lot of stuff i want to get into but um let's dive into this whole preset thing because obviously i keep tabs on you uh through you know facebook and such um and have really seen a lot of positive feedback since you've released this and i know you've been working on it for i don't even know how long a year or something it seems like i don't know how long a long time but um how's the Um, how's the release gone and all that oh it's going great i mean beyond my wildest dreams um i i i meant to do kind of just a soft launch with um, people that I, I, I had on an email list that I've been building for a while. Um, and then just kind of see what the, the first feedback was. But I mean, as soon as I launched, it just like went crazy and, uh, I can't even keep up with it. I've, I've hardly done any advertising or anything. So it's just kind of been going by word of mouth, um, which is awesome and a little bit scary because I've never, I've never had anything happened like this before um <laughs> yeah it's it's awesome but, but but then again it's something that i've poured a lot of work into for mm-hmm. i mean i've been working on it for three years and it started out as like something that you know people would ask me like oh you know it it, it went it went down this like really weird like rabbit hole like oh do you shoot any you know digital also because i'm you know i'm all about film and i shoot you know i try to shoot as much film as possible and I was like, well, no, actually, I do shoot some digital. Um, and, you know, just for cost reasons, for shooting, you know, like shooting a wedding, you can't do it all, film all the time and still make a profit. Um, and then also just for light reasons. Like at a certain level of light, you just can't really shoot color film very easily um, without flash. So I... Basically, after I got my Fuji Frontier, I just started working on ways to emulate the look of my machine. And I was I was for many years matching everything together. So I, I would have like digital and film in most of my blog posts. Um, hmm. And it all kind of came about because I had tried other presets, like the bigger ones that are out there that, that we all know and love. Um, and they're they're cool at what they do. They, they definitely have their own look, but none of them, in my opinion, were even close to film. Yeah. Um, so I kind of just went on my own journey to, to replicate what my Fuji Frontier could do. And I started with uh, Portrait 400, which is my favorite all-around film. And yeah. And now, um, fast forward three years later, and I basically have refined it to where I can't, adjust any variable and make it any more of a perfect match like in any lighting situation so i finally felt that it was ready to see if anyone else was interested in it and apparently they are so i'm really (laughs) excited yeah uh photographers we like our presets the digital world (laughs) so i think it's uh it's apparent so um what you sent me um freely which i appreciate kindly uh this little preset to kind of play with and test out and um Mm -hmm. i was playing it with it today on a wedding i shot a couple weeks ago um kind of comparing it to um you know like disco or whatever because that's what i usually use 
Um, yeah, and it's, I, for one, I think it's way closer to the actually look of Porsche 400. Uh, and since I've been kind of a hybrid shooter now for the last two years, um, I can really see the, the difference between, you know, kind of what the Visco gives you and then I think what your actual Porsche 400 gives. Uh, but also the simplicity, like you're saying, of being able to just change like exposure um, and like, you know, your tint, um, mm-hmm. just like a couple of sliders uh, mm-hmm. is so true. Yeah. And I love the, your uh, contrast settings too, which is, you know, uh, how some labs communicate to you in terms of how they how you want your scans. Uh, with, yes, the, with the same language that. yeah and so i was like oh yeah. this totally makes sense now um yeah and that's a huge i, I, I want to help people actually do both like film yeah. and digital and they, they can learn from those settings mm-hmm. yeah so i mean it took you so it took you three years to make this thing i'm like how hard i mean how obviously it was like really difficult to get that nailed down dude it's really hard um <laughs> yeah anyone wanting to go into the emulation world it, it's really cool if you're really into color and, and I am, I mean, I'm, I'm just like obsessed with color. Um, but it's hard because you can, how do I even explain? It's like trying to spin a bunch of plates on sticks mm-hmm. and keeping them all up at the same time because you can get almost everything dialed in. And then there's like a little bit of a tint somewhere like in one particular lighting situation. And you go to try to fix that one tint and it like knocks everything else out of whack. So you have to kind of like start over. It's like, it's probably 80 or 90 variables all affecting each other. Um, and actually one of my biggest, my biggest fears about releasing it was that I was going to be the one guy releasing a single film stock, not, Mm -hmm. not like 50 different ones. Um, but I was like, I only had time to make one, Thing perfect and that that was the one that i used all the time like i scan portra i, I live eat and breathe portra 400 you know for my my work and it was like well i'm so familiar with it that i you know i can dial it in perfectly but i was like man you know are people even going to like this because it doesn't come with all these other film stocks um but it is so hard to get one of them perfect that that's just what i had to do so Everyone's like, I think I get an email every five minutes. Like, when are you going to do Fuji 400H? <laughs> um, because, I, I mean, I really dig Fuji 400H. It is like, to me, it's like Portra and Fuji 400H like if, and yeah. Triax. If you had all three of those, you've pretty much, you know, That's all you got have. all the big, big yeah. players. Um, so I'm working on Fuji 400H right now. I've got a, I call it my secret laboratory. Um, but it's online and this time I'm actually crowdsourcing to, uh, oh, nice. to, to really dial it in quicker. Yeah. So you're Taking asking all this for stuff like, I learned from startups. <laughs> yeah. Are you asking for different lighting situations or something from people or I, what do you mean? Uh, well, I mean, I'm basically getting a group of people together to help me, um, like try different iterations of it really, really like I don't know if, I don't know what it's called exactly, like quick prototyping. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not really in the photography sector as much as other kinds of sectors, but I was just like, man, I think this time I'm, I'd like to get 
you know, a bunch, like a core group of people that are really excited and we can all work on it together. Um, and what's happening is I've got, I've got a bunch of people that love Fuji 400H. Um, you know, they're hybrid shooters and they're willing to like send me, you know, as much raw material as possible, um, you know, to work with. And then I try to release a build of the preset back to the community, you know, every like week. Um, so I, I think it's a pretty unique and kind of crazy model, but so far it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's kind of like, um, yeah, beta testing and like a very, like a closed beta or closed alpha testing, which I think is not totally uncommon, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, I think, I mean, the way things are now, I'm, I'm hoping, and I hope listeners, I mean, don't hold me exactly to this, but <laughs> this is my goal, is that uh, I'll have a perfect uh, Fuji 400H in the next, like, two months, ready to, to launch. Um, uh, get our hopes But I've up. been working on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like, it's wintertime. Like, you know, yeah. people aren't as busy right now, so I can hopefully get it out to them, you know, before their season starts picking up. Um, and then the last, like, kind of part of the trifecta is triax and i've got this totally crazy way uh, system that i'm going to make for working with triax so it's not going to be like triax like overexposed underexposed plain old triax um because mm. that doesn't even really make any sense if you shoot black and white um yeah. mine's going to be like pushed how a black and white person would actually use triax because triax is amazing like you can do anything yeah um yeah, it's like Triax at 600, at, you know, or not 600, like at, at 800, at, you know, whatever, 3200. Um, and also taking into account, like, what developer you use. Mm. You know, there's to- get totally different results with different developers. Yeah. Um, Great structure. So anyways, so. there's lots of exciting things. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. And, yeah. Yeah, that's... Well, I like, I mean, for me, I like the... I mean, because... The philosophy is nice because, A, I, well, being a hybrid shooter, I only shoot Tri-X and Porsche 400. I started, I shot a couple rolls of like 160 recently, which actually really, mm-hmm. li- which I actually really liked. Um, so I might shoot some more of that. But I think for me, I like kind of just staying with the 400 speed because so it's just easier on a wedding day in terms of all the hectic nature. So I'm not forgetting like... Totally. Is that a 160 in that back or is that a 400? We'll just shoot it at 200 oh, yeah. and it'll be fine. <laughs> like, you know. Um, what's the difference? Yeah, what's the difference? Um, but I think one of the things, at least what I know about you, is this really fits your MO of you want to keep everything simple and kind of, you know, you're committing to like one, you're committing to a few things versus committing to too many because I think, you know, I think you've told me before like your frustration with digital is there's just too many options. Um, totally. And so totally. It kills your look or your brand or your creativity or whatever. Is that true? Oh, I, yeah, with digital, like, one of the main reasons that I had always done digital and film side by side since I started. But, and then I was like, oh, cool. Like, di- you know, digital cameras got really good. I'm like, all right, see you later, film. Like, totally not interested. And uh, I got really excited about digital. And then I realized, like, there's so many options for post-processing that I never felt like the photo was right. 
like that it was correct mm. or that it was looking the way the best way that it could look um and then i was also really concerned with like accuracy and authenticity um and so i was like you know you know where i find that like is in film images like i look at film images and i'm like there's a maturity to them like they seem adult like not in the sense of like adult entertainment but like like grown up like mature yeah. adult um classic serious I, I don't know and digital is always like you know has this image been played around with too much like i don't know is it is it going to like look really dated because people don't use these actions anymore or this approach to editing um and so when i developed the presets my goal was well first of all was to emulate portrait 400 accurately so and this brought up another fear which was well when people see this the changes are like really subtle it's not like instagram or you know other things where it's like hey i'm film and it's actually not even film it's just like what people who never shoot film think film looks like mm-hmm. um and it's like super over the top in my opinion yeah and and will not age well at all um so when i when i made my presets i was like i had two kind of core philosophies one was that it had to be totally accurate meaning that the way that portrait sees red or yellow or green is going to be how my digital file is going to translate the way it sees yellow, red, or green. Mm-hmm. Um, no, nothing more, nothing less. No, no fancy, weird stuff to like really shove it in your face that this is film. And then, and by doing that, not look like film. Um, and the second core philosophy was, I don't want a ton of options to get it to look right. Like, I don't want like plus or minus or something, something fix or, or whatever, or like, you know, light and shadows, dark and shadows, um, you know, tons of options. Like I want it to be like, I got work to do. I got, I want <laughs> I just want it to look correct, you know? Yeah. And so I created a whole entirely new system for using presets along with the presets I released, if that makes sense. So it's like anyone could figure out how to make, their digital look like portrait exactly um, without hardly knowing anything and do it in like watching one very short video, like six minute video, and then uh, using my presets and they're already laid out in the order that you need to activate things. Mm. You're basically, you know, choosing the, the film you want, the tone profile, which is named after what you'd see on a frontier, like if you're operating a frontier. So there's like a few choices and then you pick a grain. You know, is it 35 millimeter or is it 120 or 220? And you're done. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, I love part of this. Yeah, I like the, uh, I like that grain structure option. I don't know if I've seen that in presets before where you can do 35 or usually it's like the, the grain structure comes just with the, the preset built in and then you have to adjust it from there remove it yeah <laughs> or remove it or because it's like it so over the top this is grainy this is fil- grain equals film yeah which i noticed yours are really yeah. subtle like it's not near as grainy as other presets no it's super subtle and in fact you won't even see it um if you pick the medium format grain unless you zoom in yeah um but then if you zoomed into the same shot on film you'd see that they're the same 
frame structure. So, mm. um, yeah, again, it's all about accuracy. Yeah. That's the thing for me. And it's just enough grain to take away that, like, I almost think of it as like a shiny, too perfect digital, like, sheen. Yep. Um, but it's not like grain in your face, you know, like <laughs> Instagram this, boom. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Great. Grain in your face. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you. Um, so what is it? I mean, I don't know. I'm, my thought for this is, you know, I'm like, is this, is this Kirk's like exit strategy? Is he going to get out of weddings and just do be a preset man? Like, I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious what this means for you and like your future, you know? I'm going to be totally honest. And I know that <laughs> tons of people are going to hear this and potentially clients and everyone else, but I've, I've always wanted to be totally honest. Um, cause I hate the rock star crap that's out there. <clears throat> um, I love weddings, but I've been doing them for like 12 years now. Mm-hmm. And, um, one big problem for me is that they're becoming more like photo shoots rather than like a celebration of mm. like people being in love. Yeah. And, uh, I still get really awesome weddings. Like I get weddings where I, told the couple like hey I, I feel like I retired like this isn't even work like I'm just having fun with you guys and you're in love and like I love all the people that are here at your wedding um, and those kinds of weddings I could do for a long time but it's getting to be more and more like people freaking out because I can't shoot all their details quick enough or like it's, it's so crazy. I, I actually had someone tell me, like, I want this to be in Martha Stewart. Like, that was the first thing that they said to me. <laughs> um, and that's, like, you know, that's cool. I mean, if that's what they want, that's what they want. But that's not kind of, you know, why I do it. And so I am looking for a way to diversify my income. Um, and I would still love to do weddings, like, definitely. What I'm hoping is that by developing tools for other people, I can free up time to work on more personal work. Mm-hmm. And my huge obsession right now is making books. Um, I think I caught the bug from Daniel Milner, who's mm-hmm. like one of my <laughs> one of my secret heroes. <laughs> well, I guess it's not secret now. Um, so if you're hearing this, Daniel, I'd love to have a beer or something or talk to you about books in person. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, I'd like to devote a lot of my energy towards personal projects, which is why I kind of got into photography, you know, a yeah. million years ago, if I think back on it. Yeah. So, hope that answers your question. No. But yeah, in, in short, I'm, I'm, I'm inching out of weddings. I still love to do them if they're the right people. I probably always will. But um, I don't need to take, like, weddings that I don't think are a good fit anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's probably when I started Musea, too. I mean, I think I'm at the same place in a lot of ways. Is like, I still want to shoot. Like, I'm not, I didn't start Musea so I could not shoot, you know. Um, but mm-hmm. I started it, you know, partly because I feel like I can help the industry in a lot of ways, but also because, yeah, it diversifies your income so that I have more of the freedom to shoot what I want to shoot. Because um, I always struggled with doing client work, but then shoot turning on and shooting personal work like i would just get burnt out on photography in general you know it's just like too much picture mm-hmm. like i need ba- i need more of a balance in my life i can't i'm not that like ocd i guess where i can just do pictures 24 7 
So I need to yeah. engage my mind in other activities and then come back to photography, you know, here or there where I have, I, it, you know, it becomes a creative outlet for me. Totally. Um, yep. So I totally get where you're coming from. And I think a lot of people, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of photographers that have been shooting weddings for like a, around a decade, they, they start hitting, they start kind of hitting around that wall, I feel like. Oh, yeah. So I don't yep. think it's... Just, it's too uncommon. I mean, a lot of the photographers, I mean, I think the photography industry in general, it's mostly people that have been, you know, in business for weddings, probably anywhere between a year to six or seven years or less. Like that's kind of the window. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and a lot of people drop out at that point. Because yeah. They're just like, they burn out. Screw this. Yeah. Like it's not fun anymore. Yeah. 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 Um, and there's a, totally. there's a big turnover in that sense. I I would say like the key between being just a amateur photographer or or like even a even one that has a, even a successful business and might say a photographer who kind of changes the landscape is that you you have ways to not burn out. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean that's that's all it comes down to. Like it's just a function of time. Um, I think we're all pretty much. I mean it sounds crazy, but like, well, pretty much equal. And it's the people that stick with it the longest that find, you know, the truest path for themselves and make their best work. And, you know, talent, I always think of talent as like, you know, there's some prodigy people that are like 16 and shooting for Vogue or whatever. Um, (laughs) But, and and that's awesome. And I I love those people and they, I'm not jealous of them. I think that, I think that's so cool. I'm jealous. Um, (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I am a little jealous, too. But, but the thing is, it's like, okay, you can be born with talent, but that's like getting a 10-second head start in a, a full marathon. Mm-hmm. And it's really the person that doesn't fall down during the marathon that finishes. And, I mean, I've had to quit photography entirely, like, three times. I think I've gone over this. I think I went over this at the Musea Gathering, even. Yeah. Um, just so people could see that it, I mean, the the real truth of it is, is like, if you can support yourself and a family and like have a modest house and everything, I, I think you're in the 1%. Like, I think you've, you know, that's a pretty damn awesome goal. Um, and however you have to get there, you know, that's what you have to do. And for me, it was like, I had to, you know, quit what I was doing and do something else to see, you know, am I even that passionate about photography? Um, you know, maybe I can learn something somewhere else to bring back to it. And finally, I kind of got things dialed in. But it's definitely a, a marathon. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's draining. I mean, I think, you know, when uh, at the gathering in February and the one in New York that we had last this past year, uh, one of the things that, like, John Dolan and Holger Thoss talked about was um, – they had kind of this like a wedding photographer club that was like early nineties. They started and, um, one of the rules for them to be one of the rules for a photographer to be in this club, it basically, there's only three of them, but, um, was that you had your income from weddings could only be, could be no greater than 50% was like the rule. So you had to mm. pay your bills at least 50% with something else, um, in order to stay, fresh with weddings 
but also just to remain, I, they felt like uh, a level of, I don't know if you would say seriousness. Of, I mean, maybe seriousness of photography, but just being involved in another arena or a slightly different genre, like commercial photography or something, for example, they felt really mm-hmm. balanced you out as a photographer and made your work stronger versus just um, only doing weddings 100% all the time every year. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, totally. Um, totally like, so that was that's kind yeah. of where they're at. So that, I think they're kind of... That longevity thing is... They get that too, you know? And they've been doing it. I mean, you know? And they're still shooting weddings, but, you know, they're been doing it for 25 years or whatever yeah it's amazing um, I mean that's awesome though and and their their work has a maturity that you don't see you know anywhere yeah and it's really cool well, and, and they, and, and and they don't do a lot some people really of get it and some people don't yeah and they don't do a lot of them either so it's like they could uh, I don't know if they get to pick and choose I mean they may to a degree but you know if they shoot 10 or less a year or whatever it is then you know they can stay fresh and really pour themselves into a wedding day because they're not doing it Mm-hmm. 40 times that year whatever it is you know it's just mm-hmm. it's they're so exhausting yeah i i i i meet with people all the time for free like in seattle like young photographers that just you know want to know kind of where to go um i met with this guy that was like 15 and uh he was like you know, asking me, like, well, should I go to photography school? Should I, you know, I need to assist, or should I assist somebody? What should I do? And um, I told him, I was like, I actually told him this. I said, like, if you really want to be really good at photography, you need to, like, I don't know, live live life first. Um, because that's what you're going to draw from to make great work. And I told him not to become, don't get gear obsessed and be a pixel peeper and just live on forums. Um, I mean, you can do that later. I think we all, we all eventually end up in that level of hell. Um, <laughs> Not everybody. Which it is. It, uh, Some of us I, do. I check in and out of that level all the time. But, but um, thank God I had, thank God I didn't start photography earlier and that I had 23 years of life experiences totally unrelated to photography. Um, you know, and other hobbies and adventures that now like influence what I do now. Um, and I told him, I told him that was the key. I was like, you don't need photography school. I mean, the reality is, is you can learn everything you need to know online or with a digital camera. I mean, cause it, there's like instant feedback. Um, and that really like what's going to set you apart in the future or, or anyone like, cause there's so many of us now is like having a unique perspective on the world or like on at least something, some topic, and it can be anything you want. Um, but something that you're committed to and that you can, you can show the world. Um, Mm -hmm. and you can only get that. You don't get that from living only in photography land, like forever. You get that from like going out and, you know, trying things, meeting people and I don't know, quitting photography even maybe it could be the best thing ever to become a good photographer. So, yeah, I mean, coming back later, but, um, yeah, 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 it's, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think one of the things you can learn from 
school that you that's really hard to learn anywhere else and that's the only thing i would really say that the added benefit of a good photo school is that you cannot get anywhere else at least right now is learning how to like properly critique or properly read an image um, True. i think that is True. very hard to learn online unless i don't even think you can learn that online i think that has to be like i think you can learn that from a mentorship if you like mentor mm-hmm. or yeah it has to be like a mentorship with somebody um, yes, that's I'm extremely experienced. I mean, I'm talking somebody that's like been a photographer for three to four to five decades, um, not mm-hmm. five years, not not even necessarily maybe ten yeah, years. Yeah, like they, they, maybe like they've had a show and now they're a teacher. Or something. Yeah, or, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, they have the history of photography memorized from the 1920s or whatever, front to back, and. Mm-hmm. And they just understand how to read art and read images visually. I mean, I think learning how to take a well-composed, technically correct photograph is, I mean, you can learn that in six months or a year, or whatever. That's really nothing. But yeah, like you're saying, exactly. having having an opinion, but being able to, yeah. I, th- I think having a visual opinion also ties in with being able to like read read a visual information uh, in a, a unique way and accurately um, mm-hmm. versus just making pre- yeah. pretty pictures. So Totally, totally. It's like, it's the difference between like a really well-cooked meal and like fast food. Like getting, like having that kind of that classical training or, or understanding kind of the deeper levels and the history of photography um, will produce a more satisfying you know, body of work later. And I think, I don't know, I think social media and the internet is kind of slowly destroying, I mean, many things, but it's like this, we want this validation for our work through like likes and, you know, virtual high fives and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that's leading to actually very deep work. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, people are into light painting now and now you see it everywhere or here's double exposures and these got a, like a lot of likes and, now people are into tilt shift and now people are into HDR. And I mean, that's, I mean, come on, you know, that, that's cool. It's a nice little trick. Um, but I, I mean, I, I just posted a, uh, a link in one of the forums that I am in one of the levels of hell, um, but <laughs> really great people, um, about, about this guy in the eighties who did this, this like college art project. I don't even know if he became a photographer later, but he just shot pictures of people in malls in the eighties, mm. like all over the country. And the photos are like underexposed, overexposed, like off kilter, you know, probably shot with a crappy little 35 millimeter camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just got like Kickstarter funding to make this amazing book. It's like in the guardian. It's, it's this awesome like time capsule of a time when people weren't connected all the time to devices. And just the fact that he committed to, to an idea mm-hmm. and, and, you know, followed where it went and really committed to it. And it wasn't about novelties or tricks or like some latest, um, you know, lens or whatever, that it was just like an idea he was pursuing made an amazing body of work. And, you know, we had to wait 20 years for it to be recognized as such. That's fine. I mean, like Vivian Meyer's stuff was just found not too long ago. 
And, um, I mean, look at the impact of that. And that's a, that's a perfect example of like pursuing something purely out of like life experience and passion. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, I think that's important. And, and you don't get that on the surface, like on the junk food side of photography. Yeah. So. The, um, well, one of the things you talked about the gathering, which taps into all this, uh, is the staying on the bus principle that you talked about. Um, yes. And yes. So many people, they just hop from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Um, yeah. Even if it's just like one idea to one idea, or they hop between presets every three years, or whatever it is, yeah. and so they never stay on one thing and commit to it for the long term. Yeah. And I think that's becoming a, an extremely rare... That used to be normal, how that's how photography just used to work, at least from like mm-hmm. a professional or serious photography way, or stance, I guess. And now it's becoming less and less of that. Um, oh, yeah. It's about... No, no, no attention span like yeah. for anyone. No, yeah, no attention span at all. And so you just pop from one thing to the next... And you almost, mm-hmm. you're almost labeled as like boring or your work is not good. Or at least, you know, mm-hmm. it's definitely initially if you commit to one thing. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, when, on the, when you do something for 10 years, like you're shooting with the same camera, with the same lens, with the same film stock or whatever, you can actually begin to really, truly master it. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how many people in our generation are actually going to understand what mastering something means. You know, mm. um, well, I think there will always be a few. Yeah, um, I don't think there always has been just a few. Mm-hmm. But it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I always thought that like novelty and technology is like a crutch for actually pursuing like something of meaning, and it's easy. I mean, if you, like we all want to be safe and talk about gear and whatever, and it makes us feel like we're we're moving when we're just kind of treading water, but committing to something being like, okay, I've only got so much time on this planet. Um, and I'm going to commit five years, right. To some, to one project, five years of my, my limited time span, you know, on this planet. Um, that's scary. That's like, that's kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, what if it sucks at the end of five years? Uh, what if you don't finish it? What if you're, you know, well, who knows what happens? Like, but if you really think about it, like, and I use this example with students sometimes, like, I don't know, I didn't go over this at the gathering, but I would, I would add it to the next time I talk is that you could pick anything, any subject at all. Like I'll just pick one, a chair, right? It's like something really boring. Just the concept of a chair, like a chair you sit in. If I was to commit 10 years of my life to shooting that concept, the chair, it would be flipping amazing. I know it would. At, at, at the end of 10 years, I'd have a book on, like, the chair. It would be, like, chairs from all the world. Like, people would, I don't know, maybe people would make chairs, like, the history of the chair, you know, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it could even be just, like, abstract black and whites of parts of chairs or whatever. But it would be, it, it, you know, as mundane as a chair can be, it would be an amazing thing to look at because I focused my attention span on something for that long. Um, I'm currently working and this started out as a joke to kind of test this idea. (laughs) I've been, 
Yeah, but it, but then I became upset, and I'm totally obsessed with it. Um, I shoot totem poles, mm-hmm. like, because they're all over the Northwest. So, like, um, I've got, like, a hand-typed, like, six-page spreadsheet in my car of totem poles, and I, I add to it all the time. And if I'm anywhere near any of those totem poles and I have, like, one of my cameras on me, I'll go shoot it. Um, and now I'm, like, curating, like, this huge collection of, like, totem poles in weird places. And the next step is to, like, find the story behind all those totem poles, how they got there. And this is my idea for a book that I want to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, eventually. And it's so funny, like, I go to talk somewhere and people are like, hey, I, I know where a totem pole is. Like, some talk to these people are like, they've already got, like, a list of, like, totem poles. Like, oh, hey, you're out here, you know, like, I, I was in Germany. And they're like, oh, we, we have a totem pole that we made from a drawing. Um, out of concrete and I'm like oh awesome this is perfect like that's so weird yeah um, and I'll go shoot it um, but anyway yeah being obsessed with something and committing to it is hard mm-hmm. and flittering around from thing to thing is easy super easy and it's so boring and it's everywhere um, yeah yeah, yeah. guilty of it too no I think the treading water analogy is great because it feels like you're working but you're you look back and you're like, I haven't really gone anywhere, you know, substantial, yeah, substantial. Yeah. I mean, you may have drifted one way or another, like a little bit, but you really haven't picked a direction yeah. and just gone. And some of that's, I think just like a fear of commitment too, because you're afraid of, I think one of the things that's in our culture that's just killing everybody is we're afraid we're going to miss out on something because I think that's, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's why you check Facebook and all that so much because we're afraid we're going to miss a miss a conversation that we want to be a part of, or we're, we're going to miss, you know, uh, a news update on something that we think is funny. Um, or we're going to miss being yeah. like in the loop. So we kind of stay put versus committing and going North and mm-hmm. sacrificing, you know, saying I'm going to miss a bunch of this other stuff, mm-hmm. but the reward is going to be something more profound on this other side, you know? Oh, Definitely. I, can I tell you a story? Yeah. Like, of when, when I felt most alive as a photographer. Please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I've been working on a, I think I mentioned this at the gathering, I've been working on a project for like six years. Like, it, it actually took six years to find enough information to start the project. Um, but at, a, at the Eddie Adams workshop, like a million years ago, when I was, when I went there, um, I talked to a rock and roll photographer there that knew that I was interested in shooting Native American life, which I had been when I lived in the Southwest. And he's like, Hey, have you heard about these people in Germany that live like Native Americans? Um, you know, they're like blonde, blue eyed people that, um, you know, basically live in teepees and, you know, learn languages and they live that way. And he's like, it's totally crazy. And he's like, if I ever had any time, I'd love to go shoot it or check it out. But, He's like, I never will. You know, maybe you want to look into it. Um, so, you know, over the last six years, I would, you know, I, it just like was a bug in my brain. Like, I, I was totally interested. It just seemed so unreal. Um, and I would do a little research here and there. And finally, I mean, I had enough to get started. And um, by chance, my wife's friend's husband is German and he's a filmmaker. And he came over, um, we were having a barbecue 
and we started talking, and I said, hey, his name is Guido. I was like, hey, you know, um, I don't know if you're even interested in this, but uh, I'm ready to start this, this project that I've been thinking about for six years, and uh, maybe you could give me some advice on where to start. And he was like, I'm not going to give you advice. Like, I want to be part of it. Like, I want to go. Like, this is the most amazing story ever. And he, he filled me in a little bit more on it, and I had some information too. But basically, there was this writer named Carl Mai who wrote about um, this Indian chief named Winnetou and his German sidekick um, named Old Shatterhand that kind of convinced a whole generation of Germans, or at least about 80,000 of them, to live like Native Americans mm-hmm. in Germany um, for almost 200 years. So we're like on the fourth generation of people, fourth or fifth generation of people living like this. Um, we went over, and uh, I, had a, I had about 14 days of time to shoot. That's how much money I had to spend on this project. And we didn't have Facebook or anything. Well, we had Facebook, but I was finally, like, engaging as a photographer 100% from when I woke up to when I went to bed. Every day we were out, you know, finding people. One person led to the next. And the day just flew by, and it felt like an hour. And it would be like I woke up at 7 and went bed, went to bed at midnight every day and by the time we were done and had come back I had realized that it was like the greatest body of work I've ever shot and um, it was all on film all on portrait Um, I only shot it basically with two cameras so I had like a a little Olympus XA point and shoot Um, I had three cameras a a Leica M6 with a 50 on it and then a contact 645 so like an 80 on it and that's all I brought Um, and it's totally consistent. It's totally me. I love it. And um, it was easily the most engaged I've ever been as a photographer in my whole life. And, and when that experience happened, it brought me back to when I worked at newspapers, but it also made me realize, like, this is totally what I want to do. And uh, it was partly the impetus for trying to create a product, actually, um, so that I could free up more time to go back and continue it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then a side note to this is that no one has seen any of these photos. Um, I made a conscious decision to not share it on Facebook or Twitter or anywhere. Um, and this is because I feel that this constant, like, drip, drip, drip of projects kind of takes all the power out of them. Um, because part of your vision as an artist is that you, you have an understanding of a subject it's really unique and you need to go out and like shoot a bunch of it and, and, and edit it down and refine it before you show the world and before you get any feedback because the feedback you get will kind of just steer you all over the place and, and you won't be able to follow your intuition. Um, so I finished it, at least the first part and I made a book and the book will be the first thing that anyone sees. It will not be online. Mm. So <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but it's the most happy I've ever been with any any work I've ever done. No, so. that's awesome. Um, yeah, there's a big story. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, yeah, no, it's cool. And I think you'll, yeah, I'm excited to see what that experience is like once you release it, the book to people. You know what your, yeah, just how your your perception of it, you know, in in print form, and then how people kind of receive it, you know. 
I think that'll be such a, a, a weird, different experience versus how we, you know, because normally everything is just so instant, you know? Yes, yes, yes. We we don't so, mean to, but I think we cheapen it yeah. accidentally by by oversharing it um, for likes or whatever. But uh, these books are just, uh, I made them through Artifact Uprising, mm-hmm. and uh, they're just, they're breathtaking. I, I, I collect photo books by the way, like I, I've got tons of them and, and I love them. And there's something about the tangible object that makes, it always makes me go, aha, like this is, this is the final step of photography. Yeah. That you have like an actual physical print in front of you. And it's so gratifying. I can't even express it. Um, so anyway, um, yeah. And I read a lot of Daniel Milner's stuff. <laughs> I stumbled upon him and, yeah. Now I'm like I'm totally hooked. I've got a bunch <laughs> of books in production. What's uh no one's seen. Yeah, that's okay. All right, so if your house is burning and you had to say one photo book, what would it be? If I oh oh like for someone to buy? Or like like to, to look at? Yeah, yeah. Didn't, not your book, but I'm saying like just a book you've bought, like of somebody okay. else's work. Oh, I'm so glad you asked me this. I'm so glad. <laughs> um I'm so glad because I, I really pride myself on my, my photo book taste. Uh, um, okay. Don't laugh or think this is crazy. Right. Um, but the very best photo book I own, that I think is the most beautiful book that I've ever owned, um, is a book about Tibet, a photo book that Richard Gere shot, mm. the actor. Yeah. It, it, his work is just, it 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 move it just totally moves me and I've seen a lot of photos in my life. Um, it's just totally incredible. Like sometimes I I'll, I'll like go through I've I've gone through that whole book like fifty times. Like if I have a little break, I'll just pull it out and have a cup of coffee and just like page through it like really slowly and really look at every photo. Mm. Um, but it's fantastic. Um, anyway, and and. I didn't know this at the time when I got it, but then I, later I was like, it must be kindred spirits. Um, but he only shoots with a little contacts, like T2, like a little point and shoot and uh black and white film. And he wears like a fanny pack. <laughs> and I was like, fanny packs. That's all he, yeah. hey, dude, it's all about the, I, uh, yes. So I don't feel so bad about my fanny pack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Dude, he's the man. He he is the Zen Buddha. He he does not care about gear or megapixels or anything. Like he's capturing like pure spirit, like to that camera, and and it's all about like his interaction and and experience and being in the place he needs to be to get the photo. Um, and they're just totally amazing. And and I actually shoot mostly with point shoot cameras too. Like I'm not doing client work. Yeah. Um, just something really freeing about it the so, um richard it's funny is richard the, that's the book because when, i remember when i was in photo school our teacher told me that um we were well we were learning about joel peter Whitkin. i think if this story is correct I, hopefully i'm not totally butchering this but we learned about the artist joel peter Whitkin. i don't know if you've seen his work or not have you seen his work He's what, from, what was his name joel peter Whitkin. he's from like oh, I okay uh well, just brace yourself. I will tell you this. Uh, he He's kind of early 80s film guy. Um, his stuff is really hard to look at. Um, 
really hard. It's very grotesque, uh, very in your face. It's almost like he's photographing like um, torture scenes or something. It's really weird stuff. It's all black and white. These are real elaborate sets. Uh, people that are he'll photograph like real obese people, but put them in like these. They'll be naked and like these really hard, like torture positions with like masks on. It's very dark. Like it's almost like a nightmare kind of a stuff. Oh wow. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, I remember we were learning about him. He's just he's, in photo history. He's he was I don't know. He's kind of a he's just I guess famous, but. Um, in the art world, photo art world, but, uh, and he was kind of like a, one of those like shock artists, I guess, you know, but anyway, but I mean, the teacher just said on the side, he was like, he, he, I think he said, do you know who the number one collector of Joel Peter Woodkin's work is? And we were all like, who would collect this type of stuff, you know? And uh-huh. I believe he said Richard Gere was like the number one collector for Joel Peter Woodkin work. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, I guess Richard Gere has just been like a big photo collector for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, a, like a big photo art buyer, I guess. So that's funny that you bring him up because I every time I hear Richard Gere, I think of, I think of that. Um, that totally mm-hmm. takes me back to photo school. Well, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know much about him. Like, yeah, I'm not even really into movies that much. But like, if I didn't know who he was and I just picked up this book it was, it's called pilgrim mm-hmm. um i mean it doesn't even matter who who made it um but it was just it just is amazing like i hope people are seeing this if you can find a copy somewhere like i got mine on amazon um it's totally amazing it's so good um yeah totally worth it and and it's so good to have photo books to kind of draw inspiration from mm-hmm. um but you know what's really weird, and, and and I don't even maybe someone can like comment and tell me what this means. Ninety um, percent of the photo books I collect are black and white, like and you shoot color photography. <laughs> yeah, I don't shoot any black and white hardly. I mean, um, I'm start you know I'm starting to, and actually I, I got a whole kit for making uh, black and white developing coffee. Mm. I'm really excited to start trying uh, actually for a book that I want to make. Um, yeah, but, but I can't talk about it right now until it's done. Um, <laughs> I can't. I, this one I especially can't. Secret, but, secret. Um, yeah, it's so weird. I don't know what that means. Maybe someone out there knows what that means. But maybe yeah. it's that you can appreciate something, but you don't have to emulate it. Yeah. You know, or be the same as it. Yeah. Um, I think that's really healthy. But, uh, Most people don't do that. They buy stuff they want to emulate versus... Um, or they consume stuff they want to emulate versus stuff they maybe just enjoy. I know I'm guilty of that. Like, I only look at photo. You know, like I want to. If I'm doing a fashion shoot or something, it's like I want to emulate these lighting conditions or this whatever. You know, this, that whole mm-hmm. Pinterest thing. But I think there's something really healthy about just having stuff that you like because you it moves you, but you actually don't want to create anything like it. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and, and one other book that just for people listening, if you want to do yourself a favor and just find an amazing book that, that probably gets overlooked, is there was this photographer named um, Mariella Riccardi. She's an Italian woman. Um, and her husband was a filmmaker and moved her to Africa. I can't remember where in Africa now, which is terrible. I think maybe it was Kenya. 
but anyway, um, and then he like abandoned her and they had a, had a few kids or he was like always gone. And she just like picked up a camera and took her kids all the way across Africa. And this was like in the fifties and sixties. Mm. Um, and then she started shooting for like Vogue and everything else. She was like discovered. Um, but there's a book she, she made called African visions. Totally amazing. I mean, it, it is, if you want to just like go on a journey with someone like through their, through their life, like through good and bad, but also see like Africa, like you've never seen it. It is an amazing book. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's totally amazing. And I, I don't know the copy I had is now like worth like 250 bucks. So maybe it's really hard to get. I don't know. Um, I just want to throw that out there. Like, yeah. Anyone listening, right. get, get Pilgrim by Richard Gere and then African visions by, uh, Mariella Riccardi. All right. I think your name is one A and one B, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. All black and white. Of course, of course. Um, sweet man. Well, let's. And I would like to get um, one of the things I want to end on is just get your feedback, I guess, on the gathering from a teacher perspective. Because I haven't. I've interviewed obviously people that prior to the gathering happening, but I haven't actually had like a follow up podcast with them. So yours, you're kind of the first one I've ever had like a follow up with. Mm-hmm. So I would love to know what your experience was like as a as a teacher and attending, and what you you thought about it. Mm. I thought it was awesome. Um, I felt that it was it, it was the kind of environment that I I had hoped for, um, where it was really getting into the the real nitty gritty and the heart and soul of 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 photography. Um, and, and a lot of the why do we do it aspects of it mm-hmm. um, and how those, those things like kind of inform how you shoot. It was, it was really nice. It was, a, it was a really nice setting and the people there were really eager to learn and I felt we all had kind of a common um, unspoken agreement that it, it wasn't about like quick fixes and like something that you can buy well, besides my presets, of course, um, <laughs> that will <laughs> that will uh, transform you as a photographer, and uh, it was cool. I don't know. It was like it was like photography. You know, like you know, let's have some real talk about it, and it was good. It was really good. I mean, everyone everyone that taught there, we, we were all completely vested in the people, you know, that were learning that that they become successful, and not like will smoke up their their butt about anything you know like yeah. this is really what it is to be a photographer as a for a living yeah and it's not like the rock star life which is i'm just gonna put it out there right now total bs all those people that other people think are rock stars like <laughs> they're not it's all facade and uh i think it's like creating a terrible like it, it it's the equivalent of like Seeing like Photoshop models and magazines, like you get this like really warped perception of what a beautiful person is, mm-hmm. and I think those people give a really warped perception of what being a photographer is. Um, and uh, the gathering is like the opposite of that. I mean, we're all just like, I mean, like you know, Ryan Veerhead spoke about you know his life and his struggles and his journey. I spoke about mine. Um, you know, and other people spoke about their journeys too. And the common thing was that it wasn't easy 
you don't get rich overnight. Um, you do it for the art of it and for the life that you get to live. Not the rock star life, but the life where you get to actually like experience other people's lives in little snippets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just the, sati- the artistic satisfaction of it. Um, you know, that that's the real thing. And my thing is, like, I want everyone that I, I teach to, like, be able to support themselves and a family and live, like, a balanced life and have a house. And in my opinion, that's, like, that's the rock star. Like, that that is amazing, that you can do something you love and you're, you're only doing that. Like, that's a totally admirable goal. Um, yeah. So the, the gathering... Yeah you know, was kind of, like, based around these more, like, authentic, or not authentic, well, it is authentic, but I don't want to overuse that word, but, like, just kind of real ways of thinking about photography, like, for the long term, mm-hmm. and not, you know, not doing it for, not the wrong reasons, but just for reasons, like, you haven't really quite explored. Like, yeah. You know, anyway. Yeah. yeah. No. It's, it's amazing. It's totally, totally great. And, uh, I'm still in touch with like a lot of people from that one gathering in particular. So cool. it's been really good. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, thanks. Yeah. That means a lot because it's, I mean, that's definitely the culture that I want to create with it is, um, yeah, the culture of just basically just honesty is what I really want it to be. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, just honest, hard work, no BS. Um, yeah. No, no blowing smoke up anything. Yeah. But um, but very yeah. but very like kind of soul fulfilling, you know. Because I think that's what the thing that can be missed about photography a lot is that it's not about it's not a path that can get you into cool trendy clothes or cool trendy social circles. It's more about photography can uh, if it's used properly, it can get you access to subcultures and to people that most people overlook in the world but you realize how they, oh, yeah. they have a, a, a lot of value and they're incredibly mm-hmm. important. Um, yes. So, yes. Yeah. That's the best part. But. Yes. Yeah. Like I was living in a teepee in Germany on a bison ranch, <laughs> like learning German from people dressed like Indians that also could speak Lakota. Yeah. I mean, what, what, you know, like, yeah, you know, that, that's like an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. I delivered a peace pipe from one part of Germany to another because they needed it for this, this ceremony. Yeah. And like Guido and I happened to be able to be the only people that could get it there on time. Um, I traveled behind people on horseback over highways that were getting to this other thing um, on horses. So, yes, like photography opens doors to like living a richer a life. I mean, that, that's the treasure of mm-hmm. it. Exactly. Well, thanks, yeah. thanks, man. I don't want to drag you out too long. I know you got a new uh, new little kiddo you need to take care of. But tell us again where presets, where do we get those bad boys if we want some Portrait 400 action? Yes, just go to uh, mastinlabs.com. Um, so M-A-S-T-I-N-L-A-B-S.com. And... Um, yeah, I just released Portrait 400. It's on sale until November 15th. And I've got Fuji 400H in the pipeline and then uh, a whole system for uh, Tri-X after that. So Sweet. They're all coming. 
Sweet. Hopefully people love them. Yes. No, I love it. And it's, they're super easy yeah. to use and accurate. So I can vouch for them personally, and I'm being completely honest there. So um, Good. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for letting me talk. <laughs> <You> t- yeah. <laughs> I'm a box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No problem.